The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. The views expressed by the hosts and guests of the Comic Book Chronicles are the opinions of said hosts and guests. They do not reflect the opinions of the Comic Book Chronicles, the Click Nation, or the Coast Leather Podcast Network in any part. Thank you. Spoilers. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Ryder Cat, and you can find me at Ryder Cat on tw- Twitter. You can find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter, and you can find me at CB Caps on Instagram. And the sound effects you've heard come from none other than our man in Brooklyn, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? Yo, um... And you can find this here podcast on the Coast Leather Podcast Network. That's CSPN.us. Do it today. You can also find us on your podcast virtual place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the Coast Slither Podcast Network. On Spotify. Yeah, SoundCloud. That's what I said. Uh, you can find us normally recording every Thursday night, uh, with the exception of tonight, obviously, for reasons we'll get into, um, and we've already gotten into, but normally on Thursday nights at, uh, 9.30-ish p.m. on the YouTube channel of The Click Nation and, uh, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles. So yeah, we're so um the folks don't know we are recording on or if you're watching us live, you know that we are recording on a Saturday night. Um uh because uh Eternals came out this weekend, Marvel's Eternals to be specific, if in case you really didn't know. Uh and eight to seventy saw it Thursday night, uh which when we normally record and I just saw it earlier today as we uh, on the day we recorded. So we are about to go into a discussion on it, spoiler free. So spoiler but, free, but we're still gonna ring the spoiler bell. Yeah. So be prepared if you ha- are not interested in hearing even non-spoilery or lightly spoilery conversation on Eternals, then you should cover your ears, do the la 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 la, or fast forward through our recording uh, in three. Two, one, incoming spoilers. Yeah, probably if you wanna if you wanna jump ahead, probably go ahead another, let's say, twenty minutes. We probably try not to go. Yeah, just to be safe. Yeah, but you know, roundabout. Uh, anyway, yeah, just to be safe. Marvel's Marvel's Eternals. First of all, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out here is, is that uh, I enjoyed it. I'm going to let um, Agent Seventy say his points about it because he made some very good points. 
uh, on Twitter and before the show about it. So I'm going to let him start off and I'm just going to crib on some of that. Sure. I mean, my my initial reactions were pretty strong. I enjoyed the movie and I ended up watching it with a fairly decent sized group of people of varying uh, who had varying levels of um comic book knowledge and comic book history and ultimately you know we had very differing opinions and i could sort of understand where some of the um criticisms lay uh you know amongst the movie critics that have been kind of giving you know mediocre to less than glowing reviews of the movie in their reviews. And, you know, these being accumulated on the, um, on the Rotten Tomatoes website. So, you know, I sympathize with some of their points, but ultimately, ultimately, ultimately my stand, you know, my, my stance is this, what Chloe Zhao gave us was not a formulaic, MCU movie. It's not what we were used to. What we got was a, in my words, a movie movie, an actual movie that had twists, that had drama, that had, you know, actual quality cinematography and left us thinking more so than any other MCU movie to date. Yeah. Yeah. As, and just yeah, and I agree with his uh, sentiments on that. And like I've said, like I I saw it by myself. Which sadly, I anytime I go to the movies, I'm usually, especially if it's a Marvel movie, uh, I'm usually seeing it by myself. This is probably one of the few times I wish I had seen it with some other people, but not for the reasons mm-hmm. of the movie itself, as Eight to Seventy already knows. But uh, and if you follow me on Twitter, you kind of already know. But that's beside the point. Um, right, I literally just found this out because I had been away from Twitter all day today and had not uh, taken a look at Roddy Cat's uh, feed. And uh, I would definitely re- recommend anyone who wants to catch up on Roddy Cat's misadventures in the movie theater take a look at his uh, uh, Twitter feed. At, that's at Roddy Cat, R O D D Y K A T. Yeah, it was it was it was very much not sweet. But nevertheless, as far as the movie is concerned, though, yes, I agree with um, Agent Seventy that it was a movie. Movie, I in some part, as I said earlier, it's kind of the most Marvel movie without, uh, as Agent Seventy said, without even being formulaic. Um, right. So it manages to to um, make a nice balance, I believe, in in the two. Uh, very well, I believe, and this is not a, not cap or anything like that. Like no, it's just a this is a good a, a beautifully ex- shot mu- movie, and it's a little it's a little pace for some people's uh, uh, taste, I believe. But and it is relatively lengthy, um, but most of them have been right. It's a you know what I don't even know if it was a slow pace. No, rather I think I thought it was a different pace. Right, because. There's a lot of story to tell. It's a lot of movie. It's right. definitely a lot of movie in our movie movie. Right. There's so much to do that 
you know, one of the criticisms I read was that it's it kind of gets bogged down in all of the characters. And I sort of understood that side of the criticism because there's 10 characters that they have to service throughout the entire movie that, you know, they're trying to give some backstory to provide some context into why we're supposed to care right. and how these characters interacted with each other and interact with each other now based on the context that we're being presented. Right. right? So. so that is told through no and, and just just allow me this right, no, no, that no, is no. told through a series of flashbacks which in my opinion threw me a little bit and when i read that particular criticism i found myself not strongly agreeing but understanding that particular point of view so and here's my thing on that i and i can't understand that but at the same time like we've slightly been spoiled on the fact that well most of the core group of Avengers in the, the, the original Avengers got individual movies with the exception of Black Cat and Black Widows who came later. But those are known characters throughout. You know, there's even non-combo people pro- probably know who a lot of those people were. In or at the very least, Captain America. Like, they exactly. recognize Captain, Captain America, America, Iron Man, at least those two. Maybe, maybe possibly Thor, who knows, even knows. But still, regardless, those people... People, more people know about than this group of Eternals. That being said, they were not going to give these people, the, the Eternals, their own individual movies because of that. Uh, because right. usually they come in as a group. And two, um, that needed to happen in this movie because of the fact that the Eternals, even to us who know who they are and have a little bit of history to, with them, or at least know of them to a certain point, probably needed some of needed that so yeah the, while the pacing is what it was and while they some people could say that yeah they spent too long on the backstory but it was kind of necessary because people mm. didn't know who they were it right i can't say that they spent too much time it's just that it required that much time right well, that's that's really I'm, yeah I'm, yes and i agree with that yeah i don't think they spent too much time either because like i said i think that was all necessary time right exactly exactly um uh, I, I, I was sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go on, go ahead because I had something I wanted to uh, to add. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. That that was pretty much my main point on that. Right. Uh, I, I'm trying to think. I had I I had another uh, small criticism that I that that I, I took issue with because, um, but but I'm I'm having trouble uh, uh, of recalling exactly what it was. So I'm I'm just going to keep uh, talking about the movie. What I liked about the movie. Sure. Go what I liked about it was that there were definitely touches of the auteur in it. You could definitely see Chloe Zhao's hands and touch on this movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't think you're ever going, I don't think you've ever seen any Marvel movie shot the way this is shot, looking out on vistas and um, scenery the way this is shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely its own. You know, it's definitely uh, uh, unique in that regard uh, in the in the current crop of MCU movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, here's the, um, the 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 possibly sexist uh, comment that I'm going to make, which is I definitely enjoyed um, some of the the, the long, uh, uh, slow uh, focus scenes that that, that brought us uh, kind of gazing upon. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Gemma Chan uh, repeatedly during the movie. I was, I definitely appreciated that. Sure, sure. <clears throat> actually, that you know, I, me, on, you know, on slightly on that point, it was actually good to see 
um, Angelina Jolie, one, in a Marvel movie, two, in the role that she was in, because obviously, if, if you don't know, she is playing Thena. Um, uh, I feel like, yeah, why not? That was a, that was a damn good role for her uh, in that point. Now, that being said, there's not, with some stuff we're not going to spoil, you know, they, there was part of what they did with that character uh, was was kind of interesting. Actually, we uh, that was something I was going to mention to um, uh, Agent Seventy beforehand, but I'm not going to say it now. Um, mm-hmm. But he, I think he kind of knows where I'm going with that. You know, the, with, uh, with kind of what they did with that character, right? Um, they used that character to introduce a concept that was actually to comic book readers. You know, not necessarily you know Eternals scholars. Mm-hmm. But just to comic book readers of a certain vintage that came up in, like, the early 90s, mm-hmm. uh, there's a concept uh, that, that relates to the Eternals that wasn't necessarily connected to Fina. Right. But we saw introduced through her, and that was just a little bit different than what we might have been expecting. But at the same time, it's a concept that people in the real world know about in slightly a reverse manner because it is a condition that a lot of people go through. And, and as a person who, who is dealing with a person who kind of has a similar condition in the in reverse of that, it's, it's a, right, it has a, yeah, it has a real world analog. Exactly. It absolutely has a real world analog. Um, but, um, but this condition also relates to one of the characters that is kind of a background character at this point, just kind of introduced. And we are going to, and we're basically anticipating that this character is going to play a bigger role because this character shows up sporadically through the movie, but also has the majority of the scene, uh, majority of the second post credit scene, the second credit scene, that is. Sure. So. You know that's you know that that that's that's another way we can see that this is being kind of, uh, uh, you know, where where some of that comic book influence is, is being drawn upon and and where this character could possibly be going in the future. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that we talked about because unfortunately Roddy Cat and I had a chance to discuss this just before the show and we didn't take notes and give ourselves an outline. Well, um, but we're also trying not to spoil everything, so exactly. we're basically trying to skirt around several of the things we might be uh, more actively uh, w- that we might more actively discuss. Well, oh, actually, there was something I was going to mention to you, and I, I will bring this up here, even though it might be slightly spoilerish. Um, but two, well, two things: one, I know we did talk about a departure from the comic book, from one of the characters' comic book uh, version, as opposed to this version, because they do, mm-hmm. and because they do spend time on this character um, in a certain way. Well, they. They definitely spend time on this character, uh, putting them front and center. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, this character is kind of slightly different from their car- car comic book version. Oh, I mean, there's, you know, they're like almost to a, almost to a T, almost to, uh, you know, almost. I think it's virtually all of the Eternals are slightly twists, are, are definitely twists from their comic book. Uh, versions. Each of I them, mean, yeah, it, to a, has a twist. Yeah, there is. I think the one that's closest. I think the one that's that's closest to the comic book version is probably Sprite. 
would say Icarus other than close. other than the gender swap. Right. I would say Icarus is close. Also, given given how they kind of portrayed him. I've always been torn as to how they portray Icarus because mm-hmm. I never understood, you know, because there's a there's a plot point in this that I never thought Icarus would be compliant with. Well, that but sad, I, yeah. that shows how that shows how um, that shows how unfamiliar I might be with the character. But at the same time, but see, that's okay. So that goes into well, I guess that could go into a the like, big plot word. twist, well, right? Yeah. The big plot twist that is uh, kind of a departure from the comic book lore in general, right? Because the even from the trailers, you can kind of suss it out from the trailers. It seems like it's going even if you don't know anything about the characters and you've watched the trailers. I feel like you can safely say that you can see this going a slightly different way. Okay. I was about to say, I stayed away from uh, the latter trailers. Right. So maybe that's why I'm not, I wasn't, I was more surprised. Right. Even if you don't know this group of Eternals or even people in this group of, in the Eternals, uh, and knowing some of their alignments, if you, to use the, uh, the D and D terms, um, Mm -hmm. you could kind of, I feel like the trailers kind of portrayed it seemingly like it could potentially go this way, but, and even the movie kind of does the same thing where it's like, well, it seemed like it could go this way. And then it kind of swerved and, uh, kind of go, went to another way with, you know, with the thing that we want to talk about. Right. Uh, uh, people, or I should say intent, some intentions of some of the group, let's put it that way. Right. Um, and without going any further into that. Right. Oh, I, one of the funniest jokes that I heard in the group, uh, you know, not to not not to to to, to repeatedly uh, bang on Roddy Cat for uh, for the fact that I actually got to see it in a group. I had a chance to get some feedback, which was great, and I think that's what Roddy Cat really wanted, you know, to kind of bounce ideas off of people post movie. And uh, one of the funniest jokes I heard, literally uh, during the end of the movie, was somebody pulled a Wong. You know, something was about to happen, and they were like, "Oh, I'm out, peace." Yes, um, that is actually pretty funny. <laughs> um, which I still haven't seen. Shanky, oh, so, I, know, I still know what you're talking uh, about, but oh no, no, yeah, I was about to say, no. Somebody pulled a Wong from uh, Endgame, right? So, um, uh, when when I heard that, I, I started cackling. I thought that was pretty funny. That was pretty much on point. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, I mean, and there's somebody I could have talked to because I know somebody who saw it pretty much around the same time. And it looks like they had gotten out around the same time that I did, but I didn't. So it wasn't that. I really wish I had somebody with me because of, well, again, you'd have to see my tweet for that. But um, right for right, right, that right, particular right. reason, not necessarily to bounce anything off of. Right. I feel like so. So go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, because I, I was I just going like to say, anybody um, going you with know, around oh. here would have been like I would have had to do more explaining of characters more than anything. I understand. Yeah, I understand that. I did. I had to do a little bit of that in the group that I was in. Mm. So, um, but ultimately, you know, we, we were, uh, I wouldn't say divided, but I definitely had some people who were on the negative side of the tomato meter. Uh, whereas I was on the positive side, Mm. um, you know, within our group, I would say that, you know, without, you know, we're we're probably going to start wrapping our discussion on this because we're trying not to spoil anything. But um, there are two post-credit scenes or yes. credit scenes. There's a mid-credit and a post-credit scene. Uh, we know that one of them, 
the mid credit scene has been spoiled online. Um, Ryder Cat and I had a chance to discuss this earlier in terms of some of the casting choices we've seen um, that were revealed in this first mid credit scene. Yes. Ryder Cat, I'm going to give him the floor to mm. comment just a little bit in the least spoilery terms possible. Yeah, so basically there is a character uh, that, as, as they just having to say, kind of uh, comes up in the course of this. Uh, known kind of sort of to, to, to Marvel fan fans of a certain vintage, basically. Yeah, we're going back before that Avengers period of the 90s. We're going back into like the mid-80s. Right. Uh, I I would normally go either way. But let's just say that, and, and most people know that... Um, I mean, most people know that because you've seen the trailer. Um, fucking Jon Snow's in this as as the said character. Um, right. So he can't stay away from a fucking sword to save his life, apparently. Um, oh, that's... The, now we're jumping to the post credit scene. Right? I know. So we were just talking... Right. We were just talking... Just to wrap, just to wrap our discussion on the mid credit scene, I would say that um, both of us were definitely on point uh, when it came to the first character revealed. Right. We knew who it was. We were surprised by the appearance and we're happy to see it. And when we heard the voice of the character, we we're like, oh, I know who that is. So, yeah. I can so tell right. you that. Yes. Oh, no, I was about to say, let me finish with, no, the, no, with, the, with the, the main reveal, because mm-hmm. this is the spoiler part that was news to me because I'm not as up on current pop culture. So the second mm-hmm. character that's revealed gave me a big honest to goodness. Who? Because I knew who the character was, but did not know the actor. So the the impact was, part of the impact was lost upon me. Right. In terms of that second character revealed. Now, uh, your thoughts on that mid credit scene. So whereas, whereas he did not know, but I was slightly spoiled on it because, well, it, the, the, the character and the, the, the character and the person playing him was technically kind of spoiled but uh, it was a rumor at the time so you'd never know how to take those things but i guess since that that ended up being true in this case i was giggling because so um because once the first character came up and i heard that voice i'm like huh well first of all i saw the character i was like oh i what this was a surprise because i wasn't expecting this character to show up uh, who was basically introducing this other character who I did know was coming up. And so I knew that part was coming up because of this. And be- like I said, because of the first character that came up was like, wait a minute, are they really trying to set up? They- they're kind of sort of trying to set up something that they could have been set up well before now. Right. Um, but that being the case, I had, I was, um, I was giggling at both parts because like I said, I, Knowing, knowing, not knowing the first character to come in was coming in and whose voice was behind it. And this person has done some Marvel work for poor, so not surprising, but still. Um, and introducing the second character who I kind of know of the actual real, the, the real life person, but the character they played, I definitely know from being, from being an Avengers fan for a long time. So that kind of made me smile on both, uh, on at the very least one account. You know mm-hmm. how he's going to do as his character when it's all said and done. You know we'll we'll see how that plays out. If you know wherever he shows up next. Gotcha. And now on to the second uh, credit scene, the end credit scene. So, so Roddy Cat, I will let him take it away because he jumped right into uh, uh, a diatribe on the character that is featured. <laughs> that is the main feature of the post credit scene. So yeah, basically, uh, like I said, um, um. 
What's his name? Kit Harrington, I believe that's his name. Yes, we, he's correct. In, he's in the movie as playing a certain character who was an Avenger at a at a time, but in this in this case wasn't that, and also has an involvement with one of the the Eternals, just like in the book, uh, just like in the comics. Um, the post credit scene is pretty much about him, and it goes back to something that was alluded to uh, near the end of the uh, in the near the end of the movie, but we don't really get into because of something that happens. Uh, and we get a kind of sort of a reveal because he he let's just say he gets a present that we that the comic book fans know him for, or not even a present, but he unearths something. I don't know. I can't remember. Well, it's teased. Name. It's teased during the movie, right? That this character is familiar with a fam- a family, right. you know, ancestral link to something mythical, and that's or something special, to. right? Right. And that we find out is in fact the case in the end credit scene. To which, like I said, longtime Marvel fans of this and fans of this character will already know what that was. But we get to know this and without spoiling it, he gets he gets the discovery. And um, at the end of it, we hear another voice that comes in from off screen. Uh, and of course, there's been articles about who this voice is. Now, Agent 7 and I were talking about this beforehand, and Agent 70 pretty much told me who it was, and I thought it was a whole, totally different person. We both thought it was a different person, the exact same different person upon first hearing, mm-hmm. because it only made sense. Exactly. And what we find out, and what we find out, and this is mildly spoilery because we're not going to say it, but we're also, but we're going to mention that it was revealed online in an exclusive interview with uh, with the website. Yeah, so be careful that, there. Right. So it's revealed that it is a character who is set to be, or, or who was set to be introduced into the MCU. Yes. And and none of us really picked up on that voice per se. I I don't necessarily think I would have been able to pick it up unless I watch it. You know, with in a quieter theater because there was some rustling around me. I think there were some people who were a little bit restless. They probably needed to go pee mm. after two and a half plus hours of sitting still in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was a little bit of rustling around me. So I kind of uh, heard, you know, the voice uh, cameo in that end credit scene with some back with like a distinct amount of background noise around me. So. You know, we all kind of huddled before we got up from our seats and we're like, who was that? And we kind of jumped to the obvious, which is what Roddy Cat and I did, which is what Roddy Cat did as well. Right. You know, or at least the obvious choice. And we're here to tell you it is not the obvious choice. It is Chloe Zhao's obvious choice, though. Mm-hmm. Because apparently it's one of her favorite characters. Okay, now that part I did not know. Um, well, it's, that's in the that's in the article and the and, and the bit of the interview. If you just scroll down a little bit, right? Um, uh, we're going to pretty fastly wrap up this discussion of um, of Eternals by saying, "Enjoyed it. We enjoyed it. I think it's safe to say that we both enjoyed it." Um, yes. If you do not have to be a Marvel fan, you do not have to be a comic books fan to see this movie. I would go so far as to say, uh, it is a is a beautifully shot movie. Check it out if you feel like it, if you can. 
Oh, now I remember what I wanted to say. I apologize. Oh, because you you, you mentioned something about going in cold in the sense that you know you don't have to know anything about these characters at all, right. even if you are a comic book fan like we are, right? Mm-hmm. The one the one thing I thought of that that crossed my mind just you know, and I'll leave I'll leave mm-hmm. it with this. I hope uh, our good our our, our 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 fans of the show, you know, viewers and listeners of the show are not expecting this to be a laugh fest the way Guardians was because it's not played that way. Right. It is kind of a serious movie movie. That's what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. And um you know you know one of the one of the topics of discussion that I brought up amongst our group at the theater was you know I asked them I said what were you expecting? And you know I hope you weren't expecting a Guardians uh, uh, a take on these characters because this is not James Gunn, and you know the the the, the director was definitely going for something completely different mm. with you know with the story that they were trying to tell and the writers. So um, you know I I, I feel like um, comic book movies have played the 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 more or the lesser known characters for comedy as a way to compensate for them being lesser known, you know, uh, for example, guardians and both versions of the suicide squad. Ant-Man. Yes. But in terms of the group, I'm thinking more of a group because they can play (laughs) Ant-Man off as, you know, because that, that's more of a character, you know, that's more of a character driven movie because they're really focusing on one character in the beginning and then they, they branch off into two and more. Sure. But, uh, in terms of setting up a group movie, uh, you know, they use, they use humor as a, as a, as a, uh, a means to an end to try to help, uh, establish a connection with these characters that don't have much of a connection with, uh, people on, um, on a, on a, cultural level on a higher level mm-hmm. you know and i hope that most people weren't expecting that when they when they sat down to watch eternals mm. you know and i think maybe that's you know and i think maybe that's one of the reasons why this movie is uh catching a little bit of criticism because maybe they maybe the critics weren't expecting that and it and it threw them off yeah yeah, because yeah, like you said, this is definitely not uh, more joke forward than than some of the other Marvel movies have been. That is definitely for sure. But there are there's a couple of them in there. Just you know, well, Kumail Nanjiani gets to flex a little bit. He gets to flex some of the comedy chops. Yeah, you know, they they throw a little bit by uh, 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 Ma Young Sok's way. Um, you know, he gets some comedy, but it's mostly Kumail. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Something else we talked about, and this will be my last point on it. Don't be surprised. There is, there was a. We've talked about this already, but uh, and without spoiling it, there's a couple of references. Um, there's a reference to let's just um, the distinguished competition. The distinguished, yeah, I didn't want to say that, but yes, the distinguished competition in there that I found quite amusing, and also potentially. Um, um, well, well, it creates an interesting situation. Yes. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. And you will know them when you hear them. That's all that's all I'm almost There's saying. three there's three mentions of it too. Yes. So now what they what they mean, if anything, in this in this in this universe, we don't know. But this is and actually one of them you kinda heard in the in the in the, in the trailer. 
I will say, or at least part of it. You didn't hear the whole thing, but you heard part of it in the trailer. That's okay. all I'll say about that. Anyway, folks, uh, so we're going to push over to the comic, uh, talk about the comic books of the week. Uh, all righty. Uh, and we're going to start off with definitely not that um, the death of Doctor Strange uh, Avengers number one the creative team on this book is as follows this book is written by Alex Pacnadel. the art is by Ryan Bodenheim it is colored by Rochelle Rosenberg and lettered by VCs Corey Pettit so this is one of the initial wave of Death of Doctor Strange tie-in books. And uh, there is a reading guide at the end of the issue. And what we get in this is the very first... Is it the first wave? I got to, I, I'm looking at the, the reading checklist uh, in a second. Of the, um, yes, because the, we had the two Dark right. Strange, Death of Dark Strange books, and then this is the first one. I believe this is the first one that is the, the, the tie-in. Right. So this is the first tie-in that, that, that uh, illustrates more deeply uh, in more detail what some of the other heroes are dealing with in the wake of the death of Doctor Strange and this mystical barrier being taken down as a result of the death of, of the sorcerer of the Earth Sorcerer Supreme, um, and we get more insight into what, at least what um, is, has been happening in those first two Death of Doctor Strange books that these magical. Uh, these magical creatures, these magical entities are actually fleeing something bigger than they are, like a bigger threat than they are. And they're actually looking for refuge on the earth. And we start to see some of that being laid bare in this issue. We saw a little bit of it in uh, the death of Dr. Strange number two, but we're seeing more of it now in this issue. Yep. Um, and given that it comes after, so if you're in, in the reading order, there's been, like we just said, there's been two Death of Dark Strange books. This comes slightly after, uh, the second issue of the Death of Dark Strange and also dealing with the fact that, hey, the, the Avengers got their clocks cleaned, uh, in their meetings with the big bads of, well, with part of the big bads of, um, of the story. Right. Uh, so they're kind of dealing with that, but also getting sent off on another assignment, uh, in relation to uh that to which they have to, to to suss out and uh, we do start off with a a what i like to call a new old tale <laughs> that uh, mm -hmm. that is basically is um between uh iron man and doctor strange which ends up coming back in to play later on in the story as as these things want to do uh mm -hmm. that helps um iron man and the and the well help i'm not sure Given the the end of this issue, I don't know if 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 that's help or causing things worse because we there's we still don't know well there's a know. there's a cliffhanger right there's a cliffhanger right. at the end where we're not we're not meant to completely understand it right and we'll see how this plays out in the upcoming issues that follow. Uh, I would say that you know one of the one of the quality choices that Pac Nadell makes in this, and that I, I presume um, the the creative teams that help guide um, 
you know, uh, the first two issues of Death of Doctor Strange and this issue by incorporating the the kind of traditional big three of the Avengers and tacking Captain Marvel on as well, giving them a pretty powerhouse quartet. You know, this is not Cap's kooky quartet. <laughs> this is, you know, this is not the opposite, but definitely in terms of power scale wise is far on the other side of the spectrum. So when you're taking this group pretty formidable on their own and seeing them get, as Roddy Cat said, getting their clocks cleaned. It's meant to really elevate the stakes and really show us the level of power that these um, magical big bads, or at least these, maybe what we're seeing is the, uh, the magical big bads uh, minions are already pretty formidable. Right. So, you know, this is just going to be – this is not going to be a walk in the park for the non-magical uh, uh, heroes in the uh, Marvel Universe. Right. And even with Avengers dealings with magic in the past, you know, they still <laughs> have their issues with it, so especially uh, the more science-oriented ones um, of the group. Yes, that being Iron Man. <laughs> Also, the the funny part about this this issue, and then we can go on to the next uh, the next one, is that I'm slightly surprised they didn't pick up on that footprint way earlier than what they did, and the fact that who picked up on it at the at the time that they did picked up when it when uh, on it when they did, because it's not like the first time the Avengers have gone up against a character with the same power set, right? Or you know, or you know, or or the like. So I was just like, wait. Now, granted, the if you watch the cover, you can you can kind of get a if you see the cover as you can see here, um, you got to get a sense of who it is if you know your comic history. But still, <laughs> like I'm like I knew who that was from. Well, actually, technically, you kind of get a sense of who it might have been, but you don't really get to, or at least what they're evoking anyway. Right. So that part was kind of was kind of funny to me. Outside of that, decent issue. So uh, unless you got something else to say, we can move on. No, I'm good. We can move on to the next Death of Doctor Strange book. And if you just allow me a second to click to uh, to click my way through to it, uh, the next issue that we're de- the next book that we're working on is Death of Doctor Strange, Strange Academy Number One. It is written by Scotty Young. With art, the main the the art on the main story is by Mike Del Mundo. The colors on the main story are by Mike Del Mundo and Marco Delfonso, and the letters on the main story are by VCs Clayton Cowles. The reason why I uh, was so specific in that accreditation is that. There are several vignettes here, and one of the things that. Uh, uh, Roddy Cat was wondering aloud about was how the death of Doctor Strange event itself was going to uh, be uh, uh, portrayed in the pages of Strange Academy. Now we get a really direct answer. And the vignettes that I mentioned are, you know, these one or two page uh, uh, vignettes at the end of the book cover various students that are not uh, featured in the main story and their reactions and their situations that are uh, that that occur as a result of the death of Doctor Strange in the Marvel Universe. 
So I will let Rodicat take it away when it comes to the main story. Hmm. Did you say the creative team? Sorry. Yes. Okay. Um. The, uh, so, Death of Doctor Strange. That uh, if you did not know, Doctor Strange uh, has the Strange Academy, where a bunch of um, uh, kids that are related to other uh, other folks in the in the universe um, are akin to. Some would say legacy. Who who knows where to go at this point? But regardless, they get the news of Doctor Strange's death, which um, which prompts the school to pretty much go get go I mean, go into suspension until they figure out what's uh, you know what to do. And obviously, with the um, the magic bearers of the Earth being as weak as they are, you know they they don't want to. That kind of poses a problem for the school so they so they they tell the kids that dr strange is dead they was like everybody's going to go home um uh and uh classes will reconvene when things get sorted out this particular story well this particular main story i should say uh deals with two uh of the uh main group from strange academy and that being the twins uh alvi and um Eric, uh, who right. are as guardian, and as we found out during the course of uh, Strange Academy, whose mother is the Enchantress. To which I'm saying, because matter of fact, even when they that revelation came about, I was like, wait, when did the uh, when did the Enchantress have kids? Right, because um, obviously she is not mother of the year material, and they go through that in, in the course of this book, uh, right, in the course of this issue, quite 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 a lot. But um, also, we see a nice little endearing turn uh, in this. That being said, so she, um, it cuts from just like the the Avengers book did. There's a supposedly old tale that's a new tale um, that um, Doctor Strange has a dealing with in the Enchantress uh, in relation to the kids, which ends up cropping back up in the present day uh, and uh, causing a problem in the Enchantress and. Um, Enchantress and, and one of the boys uh, ends up um, well, both of them end up getting involved, but 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 um, end up sorting it out and in a way bonding with the Enchantress at the end of this. So it it made for an, a quite um, interesting story, and then the rest of the um, the rest of the kids, including apparently a couple of new kids that I'm not familiar with. Get like one page. Um, get like one page. They're not necessarily stories, but you basically see them at home. Um, right. Yeah, I called them vignettes. Yeah. You know, just like a, a quickie scene setting story. Right. And you get to kind of get to see them at home uh, um, at, as I just say in their little vignette, vignettes after the main story. So this was a particular <laughs> click of the week for me. Um, I've always enjoyed uh, Strange Academy, and this, as Agent Seventy said. Uh, post uh, prior to the show like this is kind of one that's directly you know uh directly involved with both the uh, strange academy and the death star strange you know um outright right because i i i i distinctly mentioned prior to the show and i'll repeat myself here is that i regret not pulling this book because i did not recognize that scotty young the writer of strange academy was also writing this death of dr strange tie-in 
And we found in our recent experience that so long as the writer of the regular book is writing this tie-in, it's probably going to prove to be important in the long run with regards to how you know we it relates back to how it will likely relate more closely back to the main uh, uh, story in the main book. So I'm probably going to go grab a physical copy of this book uh, to uh, add to um, you know my collection because I do pull Strange Academy. So and I, I really like this issue. Uh, as Roddy Cat said, it was great to see all of the kids being accounted for for the most part. Mm-hmm. And you know we get, you know we get Toth and we get the uh, the two Asgardian twins in the main story, and you know it it all just kind of proved to be, you know, a well put together tale. And it was nice to see Del Mundo doing uh, interiors again. I know that uh, some of us struggled with his work when he was doing Weird World, but I I enjoyed it. Or and Avengers, yeah. if you remember that one, because he did. Uh, that well, I mean, he, yeah, he did Avengers and Thor. Right. But yeah, I, I slightly had I love his, his I love his art. But yeah, I kind of had an issue. I had a part. I had a problem with it when he was doing Avengers because it was like, while his art is great, it's it's a stylistic choice that's sometimes kind of doesn't work well on certain certain occasions. I thought anyway. Sure. No, that's a fair. That's a fair, you know that's a fair criticism. Uh, but that being said, let us swiftly move on to. Um, uh, I was about to say we could probably go rapid fire because yeah, at this point saying. all of yeah. our books diverge. Yes, right. Yeah, we no longer have any books in common. So I am going to spin up the minigun and shout out to Jesse the Body Ventura. I ain't got time to bleed. Uh, rapid fire, folks. Uh, eight to seventy. Why don't you go ahead and? Uh... Yeah, I've got fewer books, so let me run through the books that I've got. First is Batman number one sixteen. It is written by James Tynion the fourth, with art by Jorge Jimenez, colors by Tomo Mori, and letters by Clayton Cowell. So, uh, we get some of our main protagonists and antagonists in this fear state story crossing paths finally uh you know basically finding themselves in the same room for the first time in this fear state uh story you know it's batman and uh what's her face molly miracle molly I think is the name of that uh, Unsanity Collective character. I'm going to just kind of scroll through this and make sure I don't get that incorrect. We get um, uh, Peacekeeper 1 and we have the Scarecrow all basically coming to loggerheads uh, during the course of this issue. And lots of uh, shenanigans ensue. Ultimately, at the end of this issue, we find... Oh, and and there is uh, a subplot where... Uh, Poison Ivy has basically, uh, it's been revealed that Poison Ivy has had, in in essence, roots growing through the catacombs underneath uh, Gotham City and could legitimately bring it all crashing down as a result of these uh, roots that have been growing uh, throughout the the, uh, the underside of Gotham City. So uh, this is... The pe- it looks like this is the penultimate issue of Fear State because it looks like uh, the the uh, the sign off is that it's going to be concluded in two weeks. So 
if you are keeping up with uh, this a Batman book, this is probably a crucial issue to catch up on. So make sure that you go grab uh, this book and uh, we'll see how Tinian uh, wraps up his Batman run with Fear State. Uh, next up, it, oh, and there is a backup issue with Spoiler and uh, and and uh, Orphan. So uh, you know that was it was okay, but I've been I've been ignoring these backup stories because the uh, you know to me the the meat of the 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 read is the main story. Uh, next up for me is the Good Asian. This is number six of ten. This is an image book. It's written by Pornsak Pichetshot, with art by Alexandra Tefenki, colors by Lee Luffridge, and letters by Jeff Powell. So you know we continue to follow the adventure or the misadventures of Hark uh, of Edison Hark, the um, the Chinese uh, a police officer who's being repurposed as a private detective. Uh, because he's working outside of his home jurisdiction of Hawaii. So uh, he's investigating, you know, the disappearance of someone and now the murder of someone that was close to him as a child. And uh, without completely spoiling who did it, there is a betrayal most foul in this issue. So uh, if you're not keeping up with this, I actually recommend it because it is... A very interesting. There's lots of historical context that you can read up on that uh, uh, the the writer does provide in notes uh, at the end of the book, and they are well written. So I definitely recommend that you take a look at those beyond just the at those pages and read beyond just the story pages. Um, uh, it's also a great noir book. You know, there's a you know there, there's a couple of crime noir books on my list this week uh, because of the the relatively light offerings, the relatively few offerings from Marvel this week. Uh, the second crime noir book uh, that I have on my list is Newburn Number One. It's an image book. It's actually written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Jacob Phillips. There is a backup story. With uh, that's written by Nadia Shamas with art by Ziyad Youssef, Ayub, and letters by Frank Tvetkovic. So, uh, the bottom line here is the 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 pitch you know behind the story is that um, the main character that we're following is a fixer. It's a you know the the character is a fixer who is essentially Switzerland between the uh, remaining crime families in New York City. He is the person that uh, the crime families go to to address the problems that they're having with some of the other families, so that they don't have to go to war and uh, shed unnecessary blood and mess up all of their lucrative crime businesses. So the main character that we're following is definitely uh, grayer than gray. Definitely not, you know, uh, directly smack in the middle of the uh, the gray area between the good guys and the bad guys. But we're definitely seeing some of the situations that this, you know, that uh, this character might be subject to as. Uh, uh, a go-to fixer uh, for you know for for characters and for situations like this where crime families are not necessarily warring but are trying to avoid wars and and trying not to let uh, small incidents blow up to the point where there might be uh, you know where they might all be going to the mattresses 
you know, and if you uh, if you're familiar with The Godfather, you know what that means. Um, so this was a quality read. This is also, you know, something that I thought about giving uh, consideration to for a uh, potential click of the week. Last for me is the human target. It's uh, the human target number one. It's from DC. It's written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood and letters by Clayton Cowles. Now I confess, much like my approach to Eternals, I came into this pretty cold when it came to being familiar with the character. I am not familiar with the human target at all. As a matter of fact, I thought the human target had some superpowers. Apparently the character does not, or at least in this iteration, does not have any powers at all. Simply someone who is able to put on a very effective disguise may have some super tech powered masks but other than that basically presents themselves as literally a human target for someone they have been hired by who suspects that uh will have uh an attempt on their life so the human target steps in and creates just that a human target there are twists and turns in this because um the what we learn is that the human target is not and is most definitely not invulnerable and may be, in fact, powerless unless uh, Tom King decides to throw in something retroactively. Ultimately, uh, I thought it was a quality read. Um, you know, it didn't matter at all that I was unfamiliar with the character or even the concept, but uh, I thought it was a good jumping on point as a number one issue for this miniseries. I, actually, I think it's a regular series. I have to double check. Uh, to see what issue number, uh, how many issues are in this, if there is a miniseries. But in any event, that is the last of my books, and I'm going to hand it over to Roddy Cat. Uh, for myself, um, I'm going to go to Icon of Rocket Season 1, Number 4, uh, written by Reginald Hutland and Leon Chills, pencils Doug Braithwaite, um, inks by Andrew Curry, uh, colors Brad Anderson, letters by End World Design. Um, the the basic gist of this one, like I said, this is a um, milestone re- returns, um, and this is basically a reboot of uh, the milestone uh, comics series of the same name, Icon and Rocket. Uh, I think it's hitting some of the same beats as it did uh, originally. Like I'm not, I'm less familiar with this book as I am with Static, even even actually somewhat even then, but I do know that. But you can, as I say in my notes, you can definitely say it's a uh, tell it's a reboot because Rocket says Yeet, um, and and the title is called Nuck If You Buck, which uh, which both are dated in in different ways. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, Rocket, um, who is, uh, well, the, the, basically the short story is that, uh, we come to find out that, uh, to a little bit more about this mysterious character who comes to, who keeps coming in every other issue to, uh, uh, to Rocket and her mom. Uh, for and we find out who this person is to a point and her mission, uh, but we also find out that um, uh, Rocket and I kind of caused a lot of trouble, and now some some one or something's been sent after them uh, because of that. Uh, so it's been the, those the milestones books have been 
uh, pretty good reads so far. And uh, this is, if if you are aware of those, I'm probably tempted my fate by doing this, but I'm gonna put this up real quick. There's a, the, the um, cover. I don't think the cover's an issue here, but because whatever. Uh, but it's been it's been an enjoyable read so far, and it's been it's been going um, nicely. The next book is Teen Titans Academy number seven, written by uh, Tim Sheridan, pencils by Rafa Sandoval, uh, inks by Jordi Tarragona, colors by Alex Sinclair, and letters by Rob Lee. Um, so the gist of this one is that um, after the events of well, the events of last issue. Gorilla, well, the kids are on summer vacation. They all went to this one. They went to this one lake and come to find out that uh, apparently there was a plot by Gorilla Grodd, um, who is related to one of the students uh, that was also going on at the same time. And it seemed at the end of the last issue that this uh, relation uh was a part of the plot but what we come to find out in this issue is not all is what they seem and there's a little family drama and a scuffle but it actually ends up being um in a way slightly endearing at the end uh of it um in that so i don't know i've all i've been liking team titans to uh bootleg strange academy for kind of obvious reasons um uh, if you know anything about the book, which is basically hey, the team that the Titans have opened up an academy for your, for kids uh, with superpowers and, and whatnot. And yeah, that's not unlike um, strange Academy in a, in a way, um, but it's still a pretty good, good read. So check that out if you feel inclined. Uh, next book is Superman 78. Number three written by Robert Venditti art by Wilfredo Torres uh, colors by Jordi Belair and letters by ALW's Dan Lanfear. Um, so at the end of last issue, the, the folks of Metropolis who have taken a taken a shine to one Superman um, decides to decides to kind of um, help our dude out because Brainiac came down to supposedly save them from from this Cretonium menace in a way. Um, and Superman being Superman was like, no, 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 y'all don't need to do anything. You know, I'm, you know, let, let me do this to save y'all because, you know, the normal folks are getting out the pitchforks and be like, no, you can't take our Superman, blah, 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 this and that. So Superman gets taken uh, by Brainiac, but not without Lex Luthor kind of coming in and giving, uh, Superman a pat on the back for reasons that we find out later on. Um, which, you, if you know enough about comics and whatnot, you know what what that will end up being. But, um... After Superman gets taken, you know, people are, are kind of depressed because Superman's gone or whatnot. Not really... The, the people that are close to Clark Kent, however, don't recognize the fact that he's gone, or at least don't don't mention it. Because Lois Lane is like, oh, Superman's gone, and, and so is Jimmy Olsen, but they never say anything about Clark Kent not being around, which is kind of funny. Um, also, if if the name of the title doesn't, uh, doesn't, doesn't apparent, this is set in the world of the 78 Superman movie, or after the uh the events of the 78 superman movie 
um, with uh, Christopher Reeve. So it is set in that time frame, but also in the world of the DC Comics because you there's a couple of references to at least another known ca- uh, character that uh, you see a, a sprinkling of um, mentions to. But um, lastly, there's a reunion that happens in the course of this issue that if you remember Superman's history, um, probably shouldn't be happening. Put it that way. Uh, and if you know anything about Brainiac and his, his, his one of his, I guess his mission in a, in a way, then the, the two of those meet in a weird way. So, um, that's that. Uh, next up is Star Trek, the mirror war number two written by Scott and David Tipton, uh, art by Gavin Smith, colors by Charlie Kirkchoff and letters by Neil Uwataki. So this is, um, the Star Trek Mirror World Universe I- events. Uh, if you are familiar with the the, the Mirror Universe um, from the television series that, that it's shown up in, then you kind of know a bit, thing about it. But then again, you'd be a Star Trek fan anyway. Um, and this is just an event that's going on in that universe because the crew of the Mirror uh, Enterprise at is now to um now stated has a hatch has a plan hatched uh that they're kind of needing some funding and some whatever so they're kind of um dealing with the loss of one of the stashes because apparently in this universe you know the the um the earth is in the corner uh and you know the uh the bigger factions are like the Klingons and the uh, the uh, the Klingons, the the Romulans, and everybody else. But the 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 the, um, the Terrans that they've known here or in this universe are backed into the corner. So Picard, Mirror Picard, and crew are trying to fight back, but obviously they don't have much to go on because they don't you know they don't have the resources. All they have is the Enterprise and and their pirate mentality, basically. Um. But in this issue, uh, uh, like I said, um, there's a there's a through line that has like, hey, here's a person from a season two episode of um, of Star Trek Enterprise in this mirror universe that they've had dealings with, uh, and they have to kind of deal with that situation with uh, with the stash that Picard had that has now gone empty. At the same time, the Klingons are after the same crew for stealing a whole, whole bunch of uh, dilithium. And of course, who's um, who's the one giving chase? Mirror Wharf. <laughs> and uh, we do see, uh, finally, Mirror Universe, uh, Benjamin Sisko and crew, which if you've seen uh, Deep Space Nine, they do venture into the, the Mirror Universe. So, you, you know, it is not... Not surprising that they would show up at some point, but in in the uh, in, in the way that they do, uh, and I'm sure they're going to um, they'll they'll be um, they'll do a little bit more going going forward in this in event. I'm not sure how many um, more episodes uh, more in more issues in this actually. Oh, also there is a very big reference to the first episode to, of. Um, of Star Trek, uh, the next generation that happens in this book. 
And if you know anything about that, um, that two-parter, you'll know what I'm talking about. Was it Farpoint Station? Yep. Oh, sh- I completely guessed. Mm-hmm. Yep, that shows that, the, or that particular entity shows up in, in this, uh, in this um, for a reason, which is kind of funny. Uh, let's see. We did a both of those. Winter Guard number three is my next book. Uh, written by Ryan Cady, uh, art by Jan Basildua, uh, color artist Federico Blee with Fernando Cifuentes, a protobunker, and letters by VCs Ariana Mayer. As I bring up the cover, boom, 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 boom. I'm tempting fate here, but I'm doing this for you folks because I love y'all. Um, there is that real quick. Uh, boom. So, um, the gist of this issue is th- that the Winter Guard and Yelena Bolova and uh, the Red Guardian all get invited to, um, well, in, in a sense, all get invited to Dracula's castle because Dracula has something they all want. Um, obviously, the uh, the Winter Guard is after Yelena and and Red Guardian. Um, and they were looking for information on them too, because they know that Dracula has had dealings with the uh, Red Guardian in the past. Uh, Red Guardian and and uh, Yelena was invited there because of some uh, some thing called the the Snowblind Data Drive, which apparently they all know about, and it ends up being this big story that the Red Guardian goes through uh, about that whole mission and some and uh, the behind the scenes of that. Um, so yeah, there's a little, there's a little something, something going on here. And, um, um, at the end of this issue, there ends up being a, um, I call it a swerve. I don't even know if it's a swerve, but basically, um, something ends up happening, uh, happening to, um, one, one part of this group and, which might kind of seem like a portrayal of the other person in this group. Um, let's just say, but, uh, and also I think there's a, there's some hints to, so we know that the red guard, uh, the winter guard is, has been in the pages of, um, the Avengers. And I believe this story is taking place before recent events because specifically Dracula seems to have some information on one particular group member. Well, has a lot of information, but one particular inf- piece of info about one member of the winter guard that apparently they don't know about, um, which is, uh, the identity of, uh, this one particular person. And I don't think even with recent events and uh, Avengers, we may still don't know, we we may not know who that is, even though there may have been a clue to it. So that's something may or may not be visited at some point, or who knows. Um, but there is that. Last but not least, Star Wars uh, number eighteen, written by Charles Soule, art by Ramon Rosanas, um, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VC Clayton, VCs Clayton Cowles. Um, I think I said this in my notes, but I probably shouldn't have read this. But it kind of doesn't matter. Uh-oh. Is it out of sequence with the bounty hunter story? So no. To answer your, your question, AJ Savory, it's just that it's not necessarily that it's out of sequence. It's more like I have not kept up. I've not read the stuff prior to this. Gotcha. And this issue pretty much 
talks about something that happened that I have not read. Yikes. But it kind of doesn't matter because let's just say that uh, what I did read is kind of putting everything back on track with what we know with uh, what we will see in the movie. Okay. In, in the movie that is going to be set after this. Right. So it seems like this uh, event is coming to an end, although the, the it looks like the next issue is still going to be a tie-in with this thing. So, um, and I know there's some other stuff like, uh, there's a whole nother event that's coming, uh, that's coming up with, um, the Crimson Dawn, which this, uh, event also has a whole lot to do because even the crux of this, uh, issue is basically the aftermath of something that happened, which I won't go into that, um, a few people are kind of, uh, having, having emotions about. But then there is um, there is um, um, a nice little discussion between I'll just go ahead and say Leia and Kira uh, in the course of this issue about said thing. Uh, like I said, that kind of puts everything back on course to to um, to the movies that we know, which we knew was going to happen because even what's been happening has been like okay they can't really go too far away because they can't really think that's not going to, that's going to set them away from what happened in the movies. Cause obviously they have to get back to that. And this is, looks like it's starting to do that. So there is that. And I would put up the, um, the, uh, image of the, the, um, the, uh, cover, but we're already tempting fate as it is. And that being said, that is it for me. And we can go to clicks of the week. Clicks of the week. So my apologies, folks. Well, I mean, it's not like it's not like I do whatever's going on with OBS tonight is really crapping it up the bed. But um, so yeah, we're definitely going to be running updates and whatnot. We know that there was a Skype update, uh, at least on the Mac side, that I had to apply tonight. So yeah. we're going to double check that before we hit the sack tonight. Once we sign off, well, but uh, we have our clicks of the week coming in. And I have mine because it was, you know, as as we acknowledged earlier, this was a relatively light week of books, but we definitely gave some of the books that um, from other publishers a shot this week. And you know, it's fair to say that I dove deep into the uh, the, the the crime noir section of that of that pool. And uh, I enjoyed it. I'm, I've been keeping up with the good Asian, and I thought that New Burn was a solid, uh, a solid entry into that, uh, into into a, a part of that genre at least. But for a click of the week, my pick has to be Death of Doctor Strange, Strange Academy number one, because I thought it was a quality, quality story. I agree. It very much was. Like I said, it it. it... I mean, Strange Academy is not um, has been a consistently good book for me. I would all I, I don't want to speak for uh, Agent Seventy um, about that, but I, I could I think we've it's safe to say we've both enjoyed the the, the regular book. Uh, yeah, and we've been keeping up with it, so exactly. it was nice to see this be a really direct tie-in into both the event and the main series. Right. And on that note, I think I am... Or the main ongoing series, that is. Yes. I don't want to confuse um, the two, uh, the the actual limited main series 
for this crossover. So it was nice to see that this is dying directly into both that uh, limited series and the ongoing Strange Academy. Exactly. And on that note, I am going to uh, co-sign on that uh, click of the week uh, by making it mine also. Because, yes, I... Cool. Yeah. It, it was probably the... Yeah, I, it's safe to say. Yeah, it was pretty much the best read I've had this week. Um, um, given everything. And there was some decent stuff, but there wasn't a whole whole lot of books out this week. So, But that was right. definitely a good book. Uh, we do right. have... It definitely gave us a good chance to, as I said earlier, kind of branch out a little bit this week. Indeed. Indeed. Um, and on that note, I guess, we do have one more click of the week from Tim, which was Dark Knights of Steel number one, which is the new... Um... Wait, is that Tom Taylor? I'm not sure. Hang on, let me... Uh... I'll check. Uh, yeah, Tom Taylor and uh, I forgot who the name of Putri is. Um, but yeah. Oh, wait, Tom Taylor did that human. Wait, no, it's Tom King. I'm, I'm mixing up my Toms, but yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, so, um, the uh, the Dark Knights of Steel book is written by Tom Taylor. Art and colors are by, yeah, Yasmin Putri. Letters good. by Wes Abbott and, uh, uh yeah, those are the main credits. Hey, Babette. So yeah, uh, that was something like as I said before the show that I was going to skim through, and I probably will, even though it feels pretty much like a I don't want to say a standard Tom Taylor uh fair, but that's that's kind of not being fair to Tom Taylor or anyone else on the creative team. Um, but yeah. The, the name kind of evokes the thing, and there you go. That being said, folks, we are going to go swiftly into the uh, news section, but first an ad read. Our first ad read of the night is for Blue Apron. Blue Apron's meal delivery service. Fresh ingredients and incredible recipes delivered weekly to your door. Skip the grocery store and make incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Always shipped free right to your home. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can get $30 off your first Blue Apron order. To place your first order with $30 off and to keep and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us. That's cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, scroll down to the Blue Apron link and sign up for your first order. Blue Apron through cspn.us. U.S. Do it today. And now we get into the news. And as we do every week, we get into the cinematic news first. Uh, Cowboy Bebop character posters feature adorable Ayn and more. So, yeah, this is basically um, a story about the upcoming Netflix series, uh, uh, live action series Cowboy Bebop, which, by the way, if you have not seen the original series, it is also on Netflix now. Um, or the original anime, I should point out. So, so, and you might want to before going into this if you haven't already, because it's good stuff. I know Agent Seventy has checked it out already, or before it hit um, Netflix. But um, so yeah, but basically, there's a lot. Of, there's some character posters that we uh, that we've gotten. 
uh, if you're watching the video version, which I'm not sure if I can recommend this week, but nevertheless, <laughs> um, you can see said character posters. There's uh, Faye Valentine's, there's Vicious, uh, Julia, there's Ayn, <laughs> and uh, that's just like that's it. And I'm sure there's some more for a Spike and Jet, and that's actually that's probably it. Um, because I don't think we're getting Ed uh, in this first season. Next up. All right, next up. So only three episodes remain for the sixth and final season of the CW's Supergirl. But do not expect the series finale to be the last time you see Melissa Benoist, or Benoist, actually, in a red cape. Chatting with Entertainment Weekly about her time spent on the Arrowverse project, Benoist admitted she's quote, not opposed to putting on the suit again, and she knows there probably will be opportunities to do so, unquote. It wouldn't be much of a stretch to bring Cara Danvers back for a reunion with her Kryptonian cousin, Clark Kent, played by Tyler Hoechlin, currently raising two sons alongside Lois Lane, uh, played by Elizabeth Tulloch in Superman Lois. So, uh, you know, we are in the home stretch of the CW Supergirl. Indeed. Pink. Uh, slightly off of the comic book beat, but some fun nonetheless. Uh, John Woo returns to Hollywood to direct no dialogue action movie with Joel Kinnaman. Did you skip the James Wan story? Did I skip the James Wan story? I certainly did. So let me go back. You know, I was about to say, do the John Woo. I'll do the James Wan story. Okay. Uh, you, already, you already read the whole, you know, the whole, uh, the whole story. So I mean, the, uh, the the headline. Well, the gist of it, at the very least. So yes, John Woo. Um, so John Woo, I'm going to say of the killer, a better tomorrow. Some people say Face Off. Screw that movie. Um, but John Woo has done way better movies. Uh, Mission Impossible Two being one of them. I will say. I know. Fight me. Anyway, um, he is coming back to Hollywood to direct a. Um, Apparently it says here this is his first movie nearly his, his first Hollywood movie in twenty years. Um oh yeah, Hard Boy is also an, another good movie. But anyway, um it says he's been doing features in Hot, uh, Hong Kong, but it's been revealed that he will be uh, directing a new US action movie called Silent Night with Joel Kinnaman of the Suicide Squad, because you know, apparently his story in that is gone is uh, no longer relevant. Um I guess, spoiler alert, I don't know, for that. So, it says here that Wu is taking an interesting um, angle with Silent Night as it will be, as it will reportedly be a loud action tale that's completely free of dialogue, but probably filled with gunshots, breaking glass, and other action movie racket. And probably a bunch of doves knowing John Wu. Um, But, we'll see. So that, of course, means Wu will have to rely on his unique brand of visual storytelling to keep the viewers hooked on what's happening from beginning to end. Uh, Joel Kinnaman will also have the task of using nothing but his movements and facial features to convey what needs to be said, but not out loud with every scene. Joel Kinnaman is a very weird choice for an action movie. Now, yes, I don't know. I mean, outside the, the only way I know him is the Suicide Squad movie. So whatever else he's been in, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, it is what it is, but that's an interesting choice for an action movie person. Uh, I guess we'll see what happens with that. Uh, let's see, it doesn't have a release date, but the news of it's yeah. So, it's 
we don't have a release date, but it's coming at some point. So I guess look out for that whenever it happens. All right, next up, way back in 2019, there were rumors swimming around that James Wan, coming off the success of Aquaman, might be uh, fishing in the depths of uh, the Atlantean world to create a smaller-scale horror spinoff based on the creatures who appeared during the underwater trench sequence. So at the time, some fans were cautiously optimistic about this. We had our doubts. But we did end up discovering earlier this year, 2021, that the Trench movie was, in fact, canceled. And what we ended up finding out recently, last week, was that James Wan posted to Instagram under his handle, Creepy Puppet, a photo of Black Manta's new helmet, highlighting the new costume design for the upcoming sequel, Atlanta, uh, Aquaman and the uh, Lost Kingdom. When a fan commented on the post in, uh, inquiring if Juan would be willing to direct a Black Manta series on HBO Max, like how uh, John Cena got a spinoff for The Peacemaker, Juan didn't exactly answer the fan, but he did respond by saying, I'll let you in on a secret. He wrote on Instagram, the canceled Trench spinoff movie was really going to be a secret Black Manta movie. So, yeah, that's no big surprise. Dun, dun, dun. That was no big surprise to me. I was like, you know what? That's a perfect way to uh, supplement kind of a, a, a movie that really didn't deserve to exist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. That to tie it to something that does, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but, hey. Uh, also, you said Atlanta. I'm like, no, that's another creepy thing. If you've seen the the recent uh, <laughs> teaser trailer for season three, but yeah, I don't even. I have no idea why that slipped out. <laughs> it's, I'm exhausted. That's that's one of the big reasons. Fair enough. Uh, Keanu Reeves helps crew move equipment in a viral John Wick four set video. Yeah, this is not very much move, but I thought this was fine. Uh, so um, this article says, is, is Keanu Reeves part of the main star of John Wick 4? Is he part of the crew? This was a nice little story. Like I said, John Wick 4. Um, I am not editing a lot of this out because I'm tired. Um, but Reeves was spotted doing, um, moving some stuff with the crew for uh, for John Wick 4, showing that John, I mean, that uh, Keanu Reeves is probably the nicest guy in the world. I guess that's the, the implication here. <laughs> Next up. Next up. Some, so, so some uh, Doctor Strange 2 merchandise may have confirmed a major multiverse of madness villain. So uh, artwork for a 1,000-piece puzzle set con- seemingly confirms that the interdimensional being known as Shuma Gorath, who a lot of us were really first introduced to in uh, Marvel superheroes, the uh, Marvel... Uh, video game fighting game by Capcom and and Gorath will apparently serve as a major antagonist in the Doctor Strange sequel the box art also features illustrations presented to the cast and crew of the project when filming wrapped in April featuring Doctor Strange and his allies Wong America Chavez and the Scarlet Witch okay um Black Panther, Wakanda Forever halts filming after Letitia Wright's on-set injury. So I think we may have talked about this a little before. 
that's right. Can. But there's definitely yeah. This is some some newer information because exactly. you're about to go into how long this might last. Yes, because it seems that uh, her injuries were a little bit more um, a little bit more severe extensive. than we thought. Yeah, exactly. Than we th- well, not severe, but yeah, extensive than we thought. So according to the Hollywood Reporter. Um, as we just said, Wright was uh, injured during a sequence involving a stunt rape back in August, uh, and she's been recovering in London while the filming continued without her. However, director Ryan Coogler said the, is said to have shot all the f- footage available that doesn't include Wright, and so production must wait until she can return to the set. Um, according to Also, according to Harvard reporter, Wright's uh, character sure was elevated as the lead, which is not a surprise. Um, uh, so we don't necessarily go too much far into that, and stuff is still under wrap. But basically, the gist here is that, yeah, the sounds like her injuries were a little bit more than than uh, what was initially reported. So hopefully, she gets better soon, and they'll uh, continue filming. Next up, during an interview for the German outlet FAZ, in which he spoke about Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch movie, Hollywood legend Bill Murray casually revealed that he's actually part of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Uh, In a translation of the interview via Variety, Murray said he's, quote, not interested in these huge comic book adaptations. However, he took the gig on Quantumania because of director Peyton Reed. As Murray explains it, quote, I got to know the director and really liked him very much. He was funny, humble, everything you want from a director. Um... Uh, basically Murray uh, goes on to say the director's a good guy and now he's had he's at least tried out what it's like to shoot a Marvel movie but he doesn't think he needs that experience a second time that's fine yeah also I'm like I don't know Bill Murray did Garfield so you gotta you gotta weigh that out (laughs) right but that was so many years ago now so you know there's other things in consideration now Mm, sure. Other factors to consider, at least. Yes, like him needing a chance. You know, cr- cranky old people. Yeah, there's that also. Um, anyway, next up. Um, Marvel. I was about to say, not that that didn't stop um, uh, Anthony... Um, uh, oh, my God, Anthony Perkins. Anthony Hopkins, Anthony Hopkins from Get the Bag. Actually, yeah, that actually reminded me of something we mentioned. We were talking about in with the um, that I was going to mention in the um, the Eternals thing, but it's not worth me getting into right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Marvel rumored to have cast Jim Carrey as MCU's Modoc, apparently. Uh, so this is coming off of Reddit. So definitely take this with the biggest grain of salt. Um, See, the moderators of our Marvel Studios spoiler shared a bunch of rumor details about several of Marvel and its uh, upcoming Disney Plus shows and TV uh, movies, uh, shows and movies, um, including some of which we will not get into here. You can read the article for yourself in our show notes if you're so, so pleased to do that, because we don't know if none of this stuff is true. But basically, like I said, um, it says here that. Jim Carrey has already been cast as Modoc and could appear as early as the She-Hulk uh, series, if that is the case. And that's all I'll say about that. Right. And you would think there might be a conflict because there is a previous Modoc from the Hulu show. Correct. Well, what we found out this weekend is that that character has something else going on in the MCU. That actor. Indeed. 
But it doesn't pre- doesn't mean that this character couldn't do that here. But yeah, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it, it could potentially put a hinder. I mean, it could potentially put a hinder that but for that reason. Exactly. All right. Next up, last summer, word broke that Marvel Studios was looking for a Latino leading man to headline Halloween to headline a Halloween special on Disney Plus. Now, the rap is reporting that Mexican actor Gail Garcia Bernal has been cast as Marvel's werewolf by night. However, it's unclear which version of the character Bernal will portray. It is likely the most recent incarnation. Quite likely. Um, also, why did it look like Chris Pine in that picture? I do not know. But anyway doesn't matter um star trek prodigy oh geez stop that um star trek prodigy premiere streaming free for a limited time so yeah folks uh the new uh star trek animated series um has just premiered in the past week or two i believe and you can watch uh the premiere episode lost and found on youtube in the united states for a limited time um, as a, but it's it's a Paramount Plus show. So if you if you're one of the two or three people that actually have Paramount Plus and as a Star Trek enough fan to go check this out, hey, go for it. Um, apparently, it is a 47 minute preview. I mean premiere. Excuse me. Uh, that is up on YouTube. So hey, that's that's enough to let you know whether you're going to be interested in it or not. It's an interesting take. I want to actually check this out because it's basically. Hey, there's a bunch of there's some aliens that um or this ragtag team of uh alien kids that somehow get a hold of a Voyager class ship um at some point and there's a holographic Janeway. Take with that what you will. Seems interesting though. Um but yeah, that's the gist of it and what it says here that the episode oh wait, what's today's date? Okay. Uh, the episode will leave YouTube on November 10th, which is a few days from now of this recording, because this is the 6th as of, the, as of this recording. So if you're interested in that, you may want to go jump on that. Even by the time this gets out on audio, you, you, don't, you don't have much time. Next up. Hustle up. I was about to say, we're going to transition over into comic book news now. Yes, we are. Uh, Power Rangers, the Eltarian War begins in Mighty Morphin, uh, 13, and there's a preview from this comicbook.com article, and I think that came out this past, no, it's, uh, next week, okay. Uh, so yeah, there's a preview for this, uh, the next, uh, Power Rangers event, the Eltarian War, um, that is going on in both Mighty Morphin and Power Rangers, uh, comic book series ongoing series now uh let's see that particular issue is going to hit stores on november 10th uh coincidentally and like i said this article has preview pages from that issue Uh, so if you're interested in that uh go check it out next up all righty the blood syndicate who's returning to milestones first superhero team so, uh, 
This was one DC fandom tease, which hints at the violent milestone team, Blood Syndicate's return return to uh, the comic book publishing lineup, which includes several new and familiar faces. So this isn't a team like the Avengers of the Justice League. They're actually an outright gang who use their powers to take on rivals and defend their turf. Uh, though they seem like any other, quote, dark 90s team with blood in their name there was much more to than the average vigilantes in their titular series by ivan Velez jr chris cross sheriff von eden and james fry the third so uh you know this article is basically just a listing of the various characters who uh have made up the blood syndicate in the past so have a chance to you know make, give yourself a chance to scroll through and read this and take it in uh prior to the introduction or reintroduction of this group in comics in 2022 indeed uh danny devito reveals first look is at his batman comic featuring the penguin so DC Comics has released a preview of the Gotham City uh, Villains Anniversary Giant Number One, showing off a tease of the Danny DeVito, DeVito penned story Bird Cat Love. Um, obviously, you you know who Danny DeVito is. <laughs> oh, you should. If you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, um, he's not just the guy in that meme that goes. So I just started blasting. Yeah, he's definitely not just the guy from from that uh, FX show. Uh, um, it's always sunny. <laughs> yeah, he played the Penguin in Batman Returns. Yada yada yada. We already know. Um, Rear Pullman's husband. Anyway, uh, but yes, I was about to say some of us go back to you know go go back even further than that. Taxi, Let's you know. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are of a certain vintage, but anyway, yep. he is um. He's writing a penguin story, obviously uh, a character he knows well enough. <laughs> uh, and he's writing a story featuring artwork by fan favorite Detective Comics artist Dan Mora. Uh, DeVito and DC have revealed a first look at this comic, as well as the variant covers that will be available for the one-shot when it debuts, debuts at the end of November. Um, and it, this article goes on to detail what uh, other stories are going to be in said um uh giant C- gotham city villains anniversary giant number one so and there's some names involved in here so i might actually check that out yeah if you're watching the video which like i said is questionable at this point uh you might be able to uh see um see some images from it but hey check the show notes regardless next Next up, so Circuit Mess, a company has partnered with Warner Brothers to allow kids and parents to learn more about STEM and build their own Batmobile. Available for a limited time through Kickstarter, fans can spend between $99 and $159 to secure one of three awesome STEM kits that lets you build and program a remote-controlled Batmobile. It looks like an amazing project to do with your kids or by yourself. And uh, you can, you know, use the remote control. You can actually program the Batmobile to drive using AI. The Batmobile comes with uh, several additional add-ons available at higher tiers, including a camera, dual-core processor, rechargeable battery, four metal gear motors, a speaker, Wi-Fi, lots of uh, LEDs, and more smart electronics. Uh, Rodcat is going to scroll through this and show you um, some of the pictures that are included. One of the uh, Batmobiles is kind of a, a twist on the Batman the Animated Series Batmobile. Mm-hmm. 
So they only show us the one. I wonder which, what are the other two? They're probably going to pick a Tumblr, you know, from, from the Nolan Batmans, I'm, I'm guessing. Probably, or, and or a 66 uh, Batman. Oh, yeah, that's probably, yeah, that's probably it. Those are probably the other two. Yeah. So, it looks like a cool project, though. Um, I don't know if I'd do it, but hey, it looks pretty cool. Uh, next up, though. Uh, speaking of toys, uh, Marvel Venom Poison Spider-Man uh, Funko Pop exclusive is up for pre-order. Uh, let's see, the latest Funko Pop exclusive comes straight out of the pages of 2017's Venomverse comic story arc from Cullen Bunn and Ibn Coelho. Excuse me, it involves Venom hosts from the multiverse taking on the poisons, creatures that feed on... Who cares? Um, but here's the, the, the Poison Spider-Man... Venom, well, actually, technically, this is a... Well, I guess it is supposed to matter. I don't know, because I never read the thing. Uh, but it is a pop forward. You can see the picture of it right there. It's fourteen ninety nine and set for release in January. Next up. Next up, there is a new TMNT Funko Pop PX exclusive that are based on the comic book appearances of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, including uh, the four turtles, Shredder and Casey Jones. The pop figures are styled like the original Eastman and Layered Comics with the standard version in color and the chase version in indie comics, black and white. Interesting. These are priced at $14.99 each. As pops tend to do. Um, Marvel team was team, excuse me, Marvel teams up with Skydance's new media and interactive division for original action adventure game. Uh, Marvel Entertainment will join forces. Well, yeah, like I said. Uh, so apparently, uh, actually, there's a funny thing I'm, I'm trying to pull up real quick. Uh, that's after this. But um, so last Friday there was an announcement. Uh, actually, uh, Friday before last, excuse me. There was an announcement from by New Media's Amy Henning, who some folks may know as the director of the Uncharted series uh, for Sony. And apparently she's at the head of whatever new games that's coming out of this uh, uh, collaboration with Skydance and Marvel. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to take the next one because it's related to this. But before I do oh, that... I'm by me. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but first, I'm just going to show this uh, article that I first saw it, um, that says Uncharted Director's new studio is making a Marvel game. But the, the thing to see here is the image that they use, uh, which I thought was a pretty damn good troll uh, by Rock, Paper, Scissors. Uh, it's so, like I said, Amy Hennings doing a Marvel game. They put up a, if you're watching the, if you're, or if you're listening to audio version, you won't get this, but um, they put up a picture of um, DC characters, about the DC characters. Uh, in other words, the Justice League or parts of the Justice League. So that was kind of funny. But the next part of the story is that uh, said Amy Henning's uh, game could be possibly Ant-Man or Fantastic Four, if rumors are to be believed. So we don't know what this is, and apparently, according to uh, the latest episode of Fat Man Beyond, co-host, um, co-host Mark Bernardin confirmed to Kevin Smith that he was involved as a writer on the yet as yet untitled Marvel project. Uh, "Quote unquote." For most of the pandemic, I've been working with a woman named Amy Henning, uh, who created and wrote. Uh, uh, let's see. Wait, who created and wrote. She was the leader on the Uncharted game, said Bernardin. 
Uh, they announced this week that the game we've been working on is in partnership with Marvel. And that's all I can say, but I've spent the better hard part of a year in the story minds coming up with a Marvel video game. So there is that. Yeah. Shout out to Mark Bernard and Kevin Smith. I listened to this podcast, so I did catch wind of this story earlier. Mm-hmm. I thought you might. Although I did not know that it was going to be either FF or Ant-Man. And yeah, so we don't we don't know the um, we don't we don't know the gist of that, but we'll see when uh, when we get a little bit more information. Next up, all right. So this is the new Marvel Iron Fist. We got a teaser, but is this character someone new or someone we already know? So uh, the teaser that we got, um, uh, it appears that uh, the new Iron Fist title from writer Alyssa Wong, artist Michael YG, and colors Jay Ramos will apparently introduce a totally new hero whose secret identity remains hidden behind a new Iron Fist costume designed by Jim Chung, who also recently redesigned Shang-Chi's comic book look. Um, the five-issue limited series follows Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon – which concluded with Danny Rand giving up the power of the Iron Fist, seemingly ending the long line of heroes empowered by the heart of the dragon known as Shu uh, Lao, the Undying. But it seems that another hero will step into the role, complete with the Shi inducing the Shi focusing power that comes with the mantle. Yeah, I'm slightly bummed because it's not who I would have preferred it to be. Or I think, well, I don't, I'm not going to speak for Agent 70, but it's definitely, I can safely say it, it doesn't seem to be who I would have preferred it to be. Sure, I understand. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know who this is, so we'll see, I guess, going forward. Marvel's new Hulkling and Wiccan comic would warm the Scarlet Witch's cold dead heart, which is slightly kind of funny. Because, um, yeah. Um... So basically, I'm not going to get into too far in this, but there's a digital comic that just came out this week uh, with uh, uh, Hulkling and Wiccan. And um, the, this article goes kind of goes into sportive territory with that. But if you have Marvel Unlimited, I believe it is already on there, so you can check this out. And according to this, the, the, the tagline here, Marvel's new release is following in the Vision and Scarlet Witch romantic uh, footsteps. So I'm guessing they're talking about the um, the miniseries. So if you're a fan of Wicked and Hulkling and you've already been keeping uh, uh, keeping abreast of their goings on recently, this will add to that, I am sure. So next up. All right. Last but not least, Prentice Penny keeps fi- uh, lining up post-insecure work, that television show. The TV writer and producer who recently inked a pact to move his Penny for Your Thoughts shingle to Disney's Onyx Collective is also turning his attention to comic books. Partnering with Stranger Comics' founder Sebastian A. Jones, Penny is launching a yet-to-be-named joint venture to identify and support new talent in the independent com- comic book world, functioning as an incubator and development lab for BIPOC creators and uh, their IP to find inroads to publication and adaptation to other mediums. Jones and Penny have already identified two projects, David Crownson's Harriet Tubman Demon Slayer, uh, shout out to Tanjiro and Jason Wise from creator Ureus, both of which uh, are already being developed for television. Okay. Which is actually weird because I could have sworn we've talked a while ago, probably like a good, at least a good year or two uh, about that Harry Tubman Demon Slayer 
one being a thing and two coming to uh, television, or maybe that last part is, uh, wasn't the case. But we have definitely talked about that particular project in the past. So, cool. Right. Um, so, yeah. That is it, folks. Uh, that is the end of the news section, and we are rounding out the end of this here Comic Book Chronicles. First, one last ad read. Our last ad read of the night is for Wink, the personalized wine club. Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door. From rosé to cabernet to torrente, Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Have you ever tried an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. To place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash wink that's cspn.us forward slash w-i-n-c wink wines through cspn do it today i could definitely use a stiffer drink after this here podcast um and that folks brings us to the end of this here show um we would like to thank you for coming out uh, and uh, all that kind of good mess. Uh we will be back next week uh at our regular time because hey you know movie poker call is uh over with and we have nothing until Spider-Man. Right. I mean we'll be talking about Hawkeye. Well yeah, but that'll be out bo- bo- before the show before the show records, so that's not Right. Yeah. Um which yeah, we definitely will be talking about that. That being said, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at News Notes on uh, Twitter. You can find me at CBCaps on Instagram. Yeah, you can find Agents uh, underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, PC and underscore Dirt on Twitter. PopCultureNet on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com is all his umbrellas therein. Uh, Tim, D-O-G-G-9-8 on Twitter, the Osiris of this ish. You can also find him at CBCron uh, on Twitter, which is the Cumber Chronicles Twitter account. You can also find him at the Click Nation on Twitter. That's the K-L-I-Q-N-A-T-I-O-N. But and you can also find him over at comicbook.com where he's over there, there writing is. his face off. Uh, definitely go check, check our mans out. He's uh, busting up like normal. Uh, you can find this here podcast on the Coastal of the Podcast Network. That's cspn.us. Do it today. You can also find us on the podcast for a place of choice, whether it be Google Play, Apple iTunes, um, or Apple Podcasts, as someone know it as, uh, Spotify, or the Coastal of the Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. You can also find us recording live every Thursday night, like I said, uh, 9.30-ish p.m. on... Uh, twitch.tv slash the click nation and uh, well, excuse me no 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 sorry scratch that um, twitch.tv slash comic book chronicles but also the youtube channel of uh, the, the click nation that's youtube.com slash the click nation uh, this particular episode will may or may not be up there or will be some kind of weird mash, mashup we will see if that pans out um, but regardless 
folks, thank you for being here. We will be back next week, like I said. Uh, yeah, this has been the Comic Chronicles. Peace. Peace, one. And knowing is half the battle.